My first job after I graduated college was in a management training program at a Hilton hotel specialized in accommodating large convention groups. And during my time there, we also hosted Mardi Gras visitors, several famous celebrities, the San Francisco 49ers football team when they were in the Super Bowl, and scores of regular vacationers who were visiting the historic city. For part of my training, I was assigned to the front desk, checking guests in and out of the hotel, sometimes turning over almost all of the 1,600 rooms in a single day as one group left and another arrived. This was interesting work, but it was also very challenging, as anyone who has worked with the general public can attest. Far too often, guests would arrive at the front desk angling for a room upgrade, making demand after demand as they tried to assure they received as many extras as they could get, disputing their room rates or more often the visitor tax that was attached to their room rates, complaining that the size or location of their room just wasn't up to the standards they expected or pressuring the front desk staff for special amenities or added perks. There were some days when it was exhausting and discouraging work because it seemed like every single guest was unreasonably demanding, unnecessarily complaining, and dissatisfied with whatever we tried to do for them. There were other times, however, when this work was surprisingly rewarding. There was one midweek morning when an older man and woman came to the desk to check in. From the way they approached the counter, I could tell they were a little uncomfortable. They felt a little bit out of place. As I gathered their information for check-in, they shared that they had recently retired and were taking a once-in-a-lifetime vacation, with New Orleans being a special place that they had always wanted to visit. They were excited about having the chance to travel and hopeful that their trip would be a good one. The day the couple arrived, our hotel was not very full. We were in between convention groups, so just about any room was available. And I put this couple into one of my favorite rooms. It was on the 18th or 19th floor, had an expansive view of the curving Mississippi River, the colorfully tiled Spanish plaza below, the Natchez paddle wheel boat, and a glimpse of the French Quarter in the distance. After I gave them their room keys, I wished them a good visit and directed them to the elevators. It wasn't long before the couple came back down to the lobby and made a beeline for the front desk. They were nearly in tears as they told me how surprised they were at how beautiful the room and the views were and how much they appreciated being given such a lovely space to enjoy their trip. They even asked me if I had made a mistake, if I had somehow put them in a room much better than what they should have been given. I assured them that there was no problem and they could have the room for the entirety of their stay. They thanked me again for the wonderful room and then went on their way. I saw them a few more times during the several days of their visit as they came and went from the trip was all that they had. And it was obvious from their ever-present smiles that their special trip was all that they had hoped it would be. 
The story of this couple and the time I spent working at the front desk came to my mind this past week as I read through both our gospel passage from Luke and the tale of Naaman's healing from 2 Kings, thinking about gratitude and thankfulness, privilege and entitlement, and how the people who are often the most ready to identify and appreciate opportunities to give thanks are not always the people that you would expect. The individuals who set the best examples in these stories, well, they're not the great and powerful military leader, the nine local people who receive physical healing, or the confident worldly business travelers. But they are instead a captured girl, servants of an army commander, a leprous foreigner, and two inexperienced tentative tourists. In the case of Naaman, he is described as a great man and a powerful warrior. But in spite of all of his leadership abilities, military successes, and social standing, or possibly as a result of all of these things, he almost misses out on the chance to be healed of his leprosy. If a captured young girl from Israel chooses not to share information with her captors about the prophet who has the power to heal, Naaman might not have even ever known about Elisha. And after Naaman travels to ask Elisha for healing, he is ready to storm off angry, to leave without being healed, because he is upset that he hasn't received the level of consideration, honor, and special treatment that he is sure that he deserves. Only after the intervention of Naaman's servants, who encourage him to follow the simple instructions given by the prophet, does Naaman receive healing from his leprosy. I imagine that it requires a certain amount of courage for the servants to approach Naaman as he rages and to suggest to him a better way to respond to what Elisha has offered but it's almost as if they cannot keep from trying to help Naaman see the simple, wondrous possibility that has been offered to him. Their vision, unlike Naaman's, hasn't been clouded by the need to be respected or honored or celebrated or is the promise of new life foolish. What they are focused on is the promise of new life. Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all is said to you is wash and be clean? Naaman, to his credit, listens to the advice of his servants, goes to the Jordan as instructed to wash seven times, and comes out of the water with restored flesh and a new life of faith finally able to clearly see the power of God at work in the healing. Unlike Naaman, the ten lepers who approach Jesus for healing readily follow the instructions they are given to go show themselves to the priests, and as they all go, they are all made clean. At this point in the story, we have no information about what, the nine, what nine of the ten do once they are cured. But it is likely that the nine excitedly return to their families, finally able to go back to their homes to be restored to their normal lives. 
Surely they appreciate their newfound health, but however they have responded to the gift they have been given, their actions are different from those of the tenth person. We only have the details about the one man who returns to Jesus after realizing he is healed. This man loudly praises God and falls at Jesus' feet in thanksgiving for the gift that he has received. He is the only one out of the ten who remembers the source of his new life. And it is clear from what Jesus says that this man is the only one who is truly and fully healed. Although all ten have been cleansed of their leprosy, this one man, this foreigner, is the only one whom Jesus says your faith has made you well. Unlike the others who appear to have homes to return to and normal lives to rejoin, the Samaritan man is likely still an outsider, still not fully part of his community. But in his case, this allows him to avoid being distracted by the pull of what is familiar and comfortable and instead keep his attention on the power of God at work, ready to be sent out by Jesus to be part of something new. For this man, being made well is more than just the removal of disease. It is the beginning of a new way of living. What distracts us from embracing the new? We focus so much on... Do we focus so much on protecting or recovering what is familiar and safe that we don't notice the opportunities we have been given to be healed? Do we risk missing out on healing when what is asked of us is something we just don't really want to do? Do we listen when the messages of healing are conveyed through the words and actions of those we might be inclined to ignore? Or do we instead pass up the chance to be changed as we search for a better messenger? When we see someone struggling, do we have the courage to speak up, to be the messenger? When we do receive healing, is our gratitude evident in how we live? Are we ready to be made well? These questions are not easy to answer, and there are seasons and circumstances when responding to these questions are more difficult than others. But as followers of Jesus, these are questions we must all face to take our place in God's work in the world. Wherever there is brokenness, pain, and disorder, there is a need for us to be on the lookout for chances to be part of healing and renewal. This is true in our own lives, in our families, in our communities, and in all of creation. We are called to abundant life, not just for ourselves, but for all of God's children. And turning away from participating in healing work or being satisfied with just our own personal health falls short of being made well. May each of us not only experience healing in those places where we are broken, 
but may we also appreciate our blessings so much that our gratitude fills everything that we do. May we be ready into abundant new life for all. May we be ready in the words of the general thanksgiving to offer our prayer to God, to give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise not only with our lips but in our lives by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. <laughs>